This episode is brought to you by Midwest Mujeres. Hi, I'm Greg Potter, and this is 20 Minute Collaborations. How is your week going? What's going on? I am recording this from Toronto. I'm here doing a bunch of little things. But most of all, this last weekend I got to celebrate Pride. It's actually the only big Pride celebration that I will be able to participate in this year. And it was so much fun. One of my favorite memories from Pride festivals. Besides those days where Dina and I would get to host and do many other things are the nights of dancing out under the stars under the lights hundreds and thousands of people around and all of us working together dancing along with brilliant and talented djs who knew how to move us and knew what we wanted and knew exactly how to communicate with us through their music this week I get to bring you one of my favorite DJs and favorite Los Angeles, DJ Asha. DJ Asha is from London, England, where she started DJing after she got a very scientific degree. She was there to support a friend and eventually turned into this brilliant international DJ. She lives in Los Angeles now. She owns a kickboxing studio, as you'll hear about. She has a wife and their two children and lives a very beautiful life, loving LA. DJ Asha understands what people want through her music. And this conversation will really, really show that. So I'm so excited for you to listen to this chat with DJ Asha. I'm a little... What's the word I'm looking for? I'm so beyond excited. Excited doesn't do it justice. I don't often chat with a lot of my Los Angeles family. And today I have one of them here with all of you listeners. Welcome to the show, DJ Asha. Hey, honey. How are you? I'm wonderful. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad that you're here. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm exhausted. It's pride season. I know. (laughs) I know. I just, you're... I one day I was just going over all of your photos from LA Pride and just oh I miss those days but also I don't miss those days. <laughs> what what do you not miss about those days? Just the really long pieces, you know, and then I mean for me also there were moments that I sometimes wouldn't remember like the year that I remember waking up at three in the morning with my roommate. Hey, and I'm like, oh, you ordered pizza. Fantastic. And he's like, no, <laughs> you ordered funny. pizza. And I'm like, <laughs> what is the last thing I remember? But that's a whole different story for a whole different episode. That's hilarious. <laughs> I hope you ordered the stuff you like. <laughs> right. And thankfully, that's when I was working at Starbucks. So I had to be at work in just a few hours. So everything yeah. worked out. Uh, for our listeners, will you tell will you share a little bit about uh, who you are and how you got where you are? Okay. Well, it's a long story. I know. Well, just some things I've already <laughs> shared a little bit in the intro, but yeah, give them give them a little teaser. Yeah. So I'm a DJ primarily. Um, I've been DJing. I started in college 
uh, when I was about 19. Um, accidentally, I was never planning on being a DJ. My degree was in biotechnology. Um, but my friend whose degree was physics, uh, she started DJing as a hobby and she was a little bit shy to go out there on her own. And so I would go with her and we would be, you know, jamming and I'll be like, hey, why don't you play this song next? Or how about that song? And she would listen to me because she's her ego isn't so big that she couldn't listen to, you know, someone else's input. Right. And, and you're then, a great and you're a great security blanket. Yes, there you go. Right. So if it flopped, if she played a song and it flopped, then she could just look at me, right? But no. <laughs> but yeah, no, it works. I I had she she looked at me and she said, You have the gift of reading the crowds. So you should you should be the one DJing. So that's how I started DJing a long time ago in London, um, London, England. And then I was blessed enough to get a job uh, working in a record company. And at that time, I made a lot of connections. And my job actually was to send music to DJs. So I, I got to know all the DJs, the main DJs in the country and beyond. And then I would bring artists, like if artists came over to do their interviews, I would be the one escorting them to the radio station and such so I made a lot of connections and so I got that led to other gigs you know I started DJing a lot on my own um and then people trusted me I got on the radio out there and I was doing uh did various different radio stations um and then you know I was touring a lot as a DJ and I came out here to the U.S. for a gig and I just fell in love with LA um and I was like oh my god if I could get a visa I would love to live here this like just felt like home like sometimes you know I've traveled a lot you know, I could live probably anywhere, but there have not really been a place other than LA where I felt like, wow, this feels like home. And I think a lot of people have that experience and that's why a lot of people move here. Um, but, you know, I really felt like, wow, you know, so I did get a visa, I, you know, it was a long application process and a lot of money. Um, and I left my people behind, my friends, my um, my family and stuff. And I came out here and I've been DJing and promoting events and stuff. And then um, I recently opened a kickboxing studio. Um, so I've been doing that. You know, I do LA Pride and, and lots of Pride stuff because I'm part of the LGBTQIA community. So I have a wife, we have kids. So, you know, things have, you know, all the time, the years I've known you, Greg, things have moved and changed and evolved. Right. <laughs> right. The days of Yumi, Dina and Alyssa, ending up at the same club because we're all promoting different things and being right. brought on stage is very far, but also not too far away. Right. And then I would bump into Dina, like in Trader Joe's or something, or see you at the sushi spot. Or right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I'm just getting homesick again. Uh, listeners, I also giggled because uh, DJ Asha was just teaching a kickboxing class. And so I took her off. I took her by surprise with this call. <laughs> well I knew I knew it was coming but then I got so caught up in what I was doing and then I'm like oh man I'm still sweaty <laughs> yet still hot <laughs> oh thank you darling I love you me. are so welcome every week I bring on a guest and they share a short story uh about com accomplishing common goals with other people DJ Asha would you like to share your story sure you know, we just got through this pandemic and um, I do own a kickboxing studio. We opened uh, 2016 on Black Friday. When the lockdowns happened, March 2020, things went crazy and we had to close the gym. And we had just built, the business had just got to that point. Because, you know, when you start a business, you put your capital in and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't generate money, profit anyway, for a while. And you're, you know, just trying to break even. And then things grow and, and you're starting to feel good. Like, hey, <laughs> things are going well. And then the lockdown happened. So... We had to close the gym 
and uh, we were doing virtual classes online on Instagram and stuff uh, just to keep people moving and, and while we were locked down and then lockdown restrictions lifted but we were told that gyms had to operate outdoors luckily for me we have a rooftop a, a concrete parking garage lot upstairs above us um, and I spoke to the landlord and because obviously they're still trying to collect rent from their tenants um, a lot of people were going bust or whatever um, so they said yeah hey the, the businesses upstairs are closed so you can use the parking lot <laughs> you know, parking if you want um, and so I was like okay great I've got the go-ahead but now how do we do this um, because my bags in my studio are attached to racks that are like above us, metal, steel, steel racks with chains and the bags go down to the floor. Um, so, you know, I spoke to my people, I spoke to my wife, I spoke to my members. Meanwhile, the members of the gym who love us, we're so blessed to be in this wonderful community in the South Bay of LA. They actually set up a GoFundMe and were raising money for us to keep us afloat, which was really cool. Um, and so while that was happening, some of them were like volunteering, like, hey, we'll help you. Like, what do you need? We want to come to class. We want to punch. We need to punch a bag now. We really, really <laughs> need to punch something, right? We Give us something to punch. We need to punch something. Can we punch something? So um, we, you know, several of my, you know, my wife, my friends, family, we we got together and we sat down and we figured out like, how are we going to do this? And I'm, I'm also part of a franchise and I have really good relationships with some of the other franchisees. So we were all on the phone and because they were all trying to figure out what they could do for their spots too. Um, so we came up with a plan and we we measured out a section of the lot that we thought was, was a good size. It was almost like 5,000 square foot. Um, and then somebody helped me kind of put a plan together and I applied for a permit, a temporary permit from the city so that we couldn't get kicked off once we started. And then I bought punching bags uh, that are a couple, like a couple hundred bucks each. I bought like 15, but they sit on the floor. They, they don't hang, like the ones in my studio hang, but these ones sit on the floor. And we all went, some of my friends, we went to Home Depot and we got bags of sand and filled the bag you know there's pictures of us probably on instagram or somewhere you know of us all filling up the punching bags with sand and um as a team and then we built a shed to store the other stuff that we needed to store and you know they were helping me with that one of the guys is an electrician and he wired up the electricity from my studio upstairs up onto that rooftop place wow yeah, so that we could have electricity up there and Wi-Fi. He actually, I bought like a 50-foot long, okay, well, longer than that probably, I don't even know, remember, but long, uh, I don't know what that cable is called that plugs into your router. Sounds great. One <laughs> with a square, like the square plug. I had to buy, so they were guiding me like, yeah, this is what you need, buy this, we'll hook this up. And then, uh, so we got this long cable and he ran it up onto the rooftop so we could have Wi-Fi, so we could operate the, the iPad, like when people come in to check in for class or whatever, so we could check them in. And then we did, what else? I had a thought and I, oh, then the other franchisee, one of the other franchisees, we were collaborating on how we could video the class too, as well. That's another reason why we needed Wi-Fi because we were also live streaming the classes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so people who couldn't make it in, because some people were on real, real lockdown, you know, they couldn't leave or they had family members with uh, medical conditions. So they were really scared to right. bring a deadly virus. So they just couldn't leave or young kids or whatever, kids at home. So we was, you know, live streaming 
the classes while we were teaching the class. So it's like two audiences, like a hybrid audience. And so we were on, you know, we were Zooming each other and calling each other and trying to figure out, hey, what's the best? what's the best way to do this? How do you hook up your computer to the, the thing and the camera and the webcam and, and all this stuff? So it was a real team effort. Um, I was really grateful to have the support from people because it would have been quite a scary prospect to do it on my own. Um, and then, you know, we had to work with the, the company that does our technology on an app so that people could book into class because mm. right now we have 50 bags, five zero bags, and so people can just show up and they all know they could get a spot, but we had 15 bags, one five. So they had to book to, to claim their spot. So every week I would put the schedule up and, and they would claim when they're going to come and get their spot. So we had to work with the team and it would be crazy because I would upload the class, the class schedule on a Friday at noon and literally everyone had their phone ready with the app ready to book their spot. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Like 12.04, it would crash. <laughs> right. <laughs> I had the same thing with my spinning class. Like, it was just like, okay, I got to get in this class. There's only 10 bikes. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So it was like this mad panic to get, you know, and there would be one last bag left and like six people would be trying to reserve that one bag and then the whole system <laughs> would crash. So, um, you know, it was happy days. We did have, you know, we were outdoors. So the stuff was vulnerable. We had the fence an eight foot fence. I think it was too high. I think in hindsight, I should have gone for a six foot fence. It's very windy up there and the wind was blowing it. And, you know, members had to help me to try and secure it. There were times, you know, we had to do that. There were times when uh, somebody robbed us. We originally put up a tent with some stuff and then people robbed us or they they were stealing our Wi-Fi. <laughs> like at night hanging out. I don't know. They were plugging in and then uh, you know, I'm paying the bills. I'm still paying the bills. So we uh, put a lock on the power supply, the power outlet and the Wi-Fi. And they got mad and they they kicked it and broke it. So we didn't wow. have, you know, stuff like that. So we had to deal with additional stress. But at the end of the day, we kept the classes going. People were very grateful that they could come and punch a bag and relieve some stress. And it was wide open and, you know, out in the beautiful air and breathing fresh air and stuff so it was cool I mean it rained sometimes we had to cancel class with the rain or it was too hot you know we couldn't have classes midday or, or whatever right. like that so or too late because there are neighbors um trying to relax at home they want to hear us you know jumping and screaming around so you know it was it was what it was but I was really really grateful at the time for everyone who stepped up to help um, and it was a real collaborative effort because everyone has different talents and they know about stuff. As I say, this guy, he knew how to wire up the stuff. Like I would, I was like scratching my head, how we're going to do it, you know? Um, and I wasn't, you know, it would have taken me a lot longer to fill up all those bags of sand, but people came and we all, we all did it together and stuff. So it was really cool. That is, the story is, first of all, it has so many moving parts and it's so <laughs> many collaborations in a collaboration. The first the first question I really want to ask you, though, is more about what leadership skills or, yeah, leadership skills are highlighted through this story. Because there is, I wrote down a bunch, but I'm curious okay. what you're thinking. And then I'm just going to use that as the jumping off point. It's, uh, you know, with leadership, it's very difficult because I know some people have taken classes and other people are just natural leaders. Um for me, I think in that particular situation, I'm blessed that people actually like me and wanted to help. <laughs> and want, you know, they're like, hey, boss, what do you need, need me to do? So that really helps. Um, I think being grateful and appreciative of the people that do help 
um, is an important of being a leader. Um, and knowing knowing your strengths and what you do well and knowing what you don't do well and where you need help and where you need support. Because I think a lot of times people try and do everything. I'm, I'm kind of an all-rounder and I like to do lots of different stuff. But in crunch time and certain situations, you really need to be able to delegate. Someone told me that a long time ago when I was promoting nightclubs. Actually, it was me, uh, DJ Leslie and Whitney Mixter from The Real L Word. We were doing a night called Juicy. And I was kind of the leader in that team in a, in a lot of regards. And I was running around doing a lot of stuff. And Whitney was like, you just need to delegate. that, <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, yeah, you're right. So go ahead and do this. No, no. <laughs> right. I, I can hear her saying that. And then yeah. see you just turning around and be like, okay. Yes, but then you're drinking Gundy. No, no. So, you know, it was, it, that was more of a team where we all, it was very clear the different strengths that we brought to the table. Um, but yeah, I think leadership is really about being able to identify your own strengths and weaknesses and the strengths and weaknesses of your team. Mm. Because some people are really good at X, Y, and Z, not so good at ABC and, and vice versa. So it, it it's demoralizing if you're asking people to do stuff that they really have trouble with um and it, they're not going to be happy doing it's it's better to find the stuff that they're good at and, and have them focus on those things where they can excel and do a great job um and you know just paying attention and kind of figuring out people's characters because some people want to be left alone and just quietly do their thing and other people want to be part of the, the whole jam and and you know get involved and and some people have you know ideas they're creative and, and they need that space. They need to be able to bring their ideas to the table. And others are just doers. You know, you just tell them, hey, this is what I need done. And they give them the checklist and they'll just go through the checklist. And right. boom, and it'll, be done. it'll be done on time <laughs> and exactly how you needed it. They're not going to add any extra, but they're going to do it. You know, right. Some of those are my favorite collaborators. I love some doers, <laughs> just doers. From from your story and the leadership, the leadership design that was that was shared Really, for me, I love that it was about creating an experience and you'd already created the experience. A lot of times with in collaboration, we talk about, you know, the placemaking and the building trust. But in that is love and humanity. And you did all that so much before the pandemic happened that people like you said, I'm so lucky. People like me. Some people did a crowdfunding, <laughs> you know, go find no, I was like, really? <laughs> you know, like. So you've already done all this work to then when the ambiguity comes up, the disaster, the change that's needed in your leadership st style. And this is something that I really want leaders to think about. It's the love and the humanity that goes into it. You've already created this experience. So when it happens, all you as a leader have to do is we need to make a change. What is everyone's thoughts? Right. And then they run with it because they felt seen, they felt heard. They know that their whatever they can bring to the table is appreciated. Right. So anyway, um You're so right. and, and can I just add one thing? Yeah, of course. I like I like to let people feel that they can express their ideas. Even if we don't go with that particular idea, it's good to know other people's thoughts and what their perspective and where they're coming from. And I don't like to shoot down other people's ideas just because it didn't come from me. Like I have worked with people like that before where only what they want to do and how they want to do it is the way to go. And if you come up with an idea, it, it's not good. Um, but if they had come up with the same idea, it probably would have been amazing. Um, but I'm very open to other people's ideas. And even if I don't really think it's a good fit right now or for what I was really trying to achieve, maybe we can incorporate that later. Or maybe it's a good point of view for us to know, OK, well, some people are looking at it like this. 
we have to, you know, that means that some of our customers are probably looking at it from that point of view too, or whatever. So it, it's always valid. So I want people who are working with me to be able to feel like they can speak up. Exactly. I love that. And I'm glad you said that. So that is, yeah. Um, and when someone, a leader is not letting it's their way or the highway, it's, right. there's usually power over or power under being enforced and it's inequitable. And that's a whole nother conversation, but, but listeners, I just wanted to point that piece out because that's very important. Uh, opposite side of the coin. I've got three questions left. The last one is with your leadership skills, how does it present to deal with that ambiguity when something is not clearly going to go the way that we all expected? Um, well, I don't know about with my leadership skills. I think that my point of view is, you know, you have a goal, you set goals, you set targets, you you try and do your best always. And you always try and bring a positive attitude to what you're aiming for. Sometimes it's just not going to happen. Like sometimes there is a time to give up or maybe that's not the right phrase, but to change course, <laughs> an exit strategy. You know, if I'm on the boardroom, I was like, we need an exit strategy. <laughs> um, but you need to know when, because I've had ideas. I'm, I I always have ideas. I'm, I'm one of those people, I don't sleep very well. And I wake up in the middle of the night with ideas. And some ideas I've gone gone with and others I've just been like, dude, that's not going to work. <laughs> it, it sounds good in theory, but in reality, it's not going to work. Or I just don't have the energy for it or I don't have the manpower or I don't have the headspace or whatever it is. I think it, you need to know when stuff is just not going to fly. I actually really enjoy that. In the class that I teach, the Life Cycle of Collaboration, we do talk about when an idea dies and how to properly mourn it because sometimes we get so attached to these ideas and like, yes. oh my gosh, like, how are we going to go on? This was the best thing ever in life. Right. And really, sometimes we just need to set our ego down and be like, no, it was a doorstop. Like, Well, you know, it's part of your heart and soul. Or maybe you realize, actually, it's not that original. Somebody else has done it and they've already done such a marvelous job that I don't even need to right. <laughs> buy their service. I'll just pay for their thing. That needs to be spoken to almost anyone trying to start a new nonprofit. Like, have you checked all the other nonprofits yet? Right, <laughs> absolutely. And that's that's me right now, because I am planning on starting a nonprofit and I'm looking at what everyone else is doing and seeing if it's really needed. Right. Oh, yeah. that, so many small gems. Okay, two questions left. One, I just want to ask him a little bit about DJ life. And because one of my favorite collaborations ever, as someone who knew me in my 20s and early 30s on the dance floor a lot, I love the collaboration between the dancers and the DJ. As a DJ with a very amazing like catalog of experiences, what do you think about that experience? And what do you love about it? Well, you know, it's it's interesting for me, especially because I am open format. I'm an open format DJ, so I play different genres and I play to different crowds. I do nightclubs and I also do corporate events and I do nonprofit events and I do private little parties and stuff like that. So it, sometimes people are just not going to dance. You know, sometimes I did an event in San Francisco recently for tech company big company that had a huge conference it was huge thousands of people and they booked me to play at the end after the keynote speaker and I could tell I mean they wanted the music quite low but I could tell these people don't want to dance they're not in their heads they have a drink in their hand and they're shimmying their shoulders 
but they're not actually going to dance. Like they want to talk. They're still kind of networking. They're still in that kind of networking mode. Right. Like they're, not, they're not in the let my hair down loose and start twerking on the dance floor mode. <laughs> so I made adjustments in my mind going into the gig when I left my hotel and stuff. I had my in my mind, I'm going to play this. I'm going to play that. And then I look around the room and I'm like, actually, no, I'm not going to play that. I'm going to play this other stuff because that's not the vibe. You know, you can't force it down people's throats. Um, and actually how I started really getting into DJing is because I was a very good warm-up DJ. Um, a lot of people don't understand that there's a flow. Like when you, if you're in a nightclub and you arrive, you arrive at 10 o'clock, for instance, or whatever, 9, 10, and you go and, you, you know, you go and grab a drink and you say hi to a few friends and this and that. You're just kind of checking out the vibe, checking out the scene, finding where you're going to hang, which spot in the club you're going to hang. You're not ready to hit the dance floor and, you know, hands in the air to the big hits. Like, you've got to warm, you got to build into it. Um, and, the, you know, the club's not full yet. It's got to fill up. So in, in instances where there are multiple DJs on a lineup, it's really important that the opening DJ warms up the crowd properly um and I started that's how I started really getting booked a lot because I was you know an up-and-coming DJ so I would be given the opening slot but I was able to create a vibe create an energy by just reading the vibe of the crowd and you know it's feedback it's a feedback loop mm -hmm. and I wouldn't play the big hits like I did not play a single big hit but people were dancing and, and, and feeling it so that when the big name DJ did come on at you know 12 o'clock or whatever they could just smash it with the big stuff because the crowd was ready you know that collaboration it's a feedback loop and then you know when they are ready you know yeah the hands are in the air they're singing that you know they're letting loose they're dancing that you're laughing they you know I get on the mic I say stuff they you know I do birthday shouts and they and you know it, it, it's a two-way thing uh, between the DJ you have to leave you have to leave your ego at the side you have to have a certain amount of ego to have the confidence to get up on stage and rock a crowd without a doubt we're all pretty egotistical as djs to a certain degree but while you're working you have to be able to put that ego to the side and focus on what does this crowd want what do they like what are they in you know one crowd the other day i was playing a song that's big on tiktok and they didn't even really care about it they were like eh. so i'm <laughs> like okay <laughs> not this crowd you know we cut that song short you know it, it, it's, a, it's a constant energy exchange between them and, and myself it's a beautiful energy back and forth and oh um my last question is is there anything lingering from our short conversation anything that maybe was an aha moment or anything you want to elaborate on further um, I don't think so. I mean, I spoke a lot. You asked me like one question. I spoke for 20 minutes on the one question. So <laughs> probably not. I mean, if anything, you know, you asked me about the leadership skills. And from your point of view, you know, you have all these conversations with people. Um, are there any nuggets that you that really, really stuck with you over the time that you've been recording this where you're like, oh, my gosh, that is something that, you know, mind blowing that I need to keep repeating to myself and to everyone all the time the funny thing is that it's not mind-blowing it's the two things of listening and trust yourself because everyone's mm. going to show up for you they always show up if you're doing a good job as a leader they're going to show up even if you don't think uh, a great story about that is the episode with uh dan lutz and he talks about his kids at americorps changing attire when he was completely frazzled and his team just yeah. took care of it. You know, it's listen and trust yourself. You see? Awesome. 
I was not, of course, I should have figured that if anyone's going to turn it around right at the end, it'd be you. <laughs> I enjoyed this time so much. Please share with everyone where they can find you. It is also in the show notes, listeners. But just in case you're dying right now, how can they find you, DJ Asha? Yeah, they can find me on the gram. Mostly I'm on Instagram a lot, DJ A-S-H-A. Uh, my website is the same. It's just DJ Asha, A-S-H-A dot com. And yeah, come and I, I usually post where I'm going to play. I have to, unless it's a private event. So come come and dance and sing along and hands in the air with me. Uh, soon, soon. This September, I will get, uh, you and I, you, right. me, Alyssa, and the kids will have dinner. And then I will come out one night when you're, when you're playing. Awesome. So, all right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. This entire time of working on getting this episode together, I've been listening to her different mixes and, oh, they just make you so happy and make you so energized. This conversation, I hope, also make you made you energized. We got into some big things with how do you how do you lead from within and and identify people's strengths and and know what they want and how they want to show up in the collaboration. Because, like she said, some people just want to do their job and their task and get it done, and other people want to research what's going on. Other people want to imagine and create and do all that. So putting people, people's strengths to the forefront. I also love the point, the point where she mentioned delegation. And, and for me, delegation is really encompassed with facilitation because in that you're still hearing and seeing who people are and what they need. And this equals to ultimately knowing the entire team. Of course, she turned it around to me at the end and had to add in some questions about leadership to me. I'm glad that I could add something to the conversation, but always these conversations are about my guest and what the two of us can collaborate together to create. I hope you have an amazing week and really to take from DJ Asha to see what's possible. If you were looking to work with me, we still have a couple spots left in the Lifecycle Collaboration Workshop that starts on August 10th. And uh, if not, just check out my website, ggpotter.com. And there's definitely probably some way that we can collaborate together. Until then, I will get you on the next 20-minute collaborations. You've been listening to 20-Minute Collaborations with international collaboration coach Greg Potter. If you're interested in working with Greg or finding out how he can help your organization, visit ggpotter.com. You can also follow him on all the social media at ggpotter. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to get all of the collaborative ooey gooeyness that you've been longing for your entire life. This is an Artemis Bow Productions podcast.